Everyone faces challenges every single day. Some are chosen and bring us joy. Some are given to us and bring struggle or pain. Whether the diagnosis of an illness, the news of a friend's death, the loss of a job, or a bike accident, we may be asked to step up to face issues that demand courage and perseverance. Hurt is just one of the many aspects of full lives. Each week on this show, ACT, Taking Hurt to Hope, Dr. Joanne Dahl helps us understand how we can use acceptance and commitment therapy to learn to accept what we cannot change and move forward into a valued life. Now, here's your host, Dr. Joanne Dahl. Welcome to ACT, Taking Hurt to Hope. Join us today for discussion about of something called mindfulness. We're going to learn about what it is and how it can be used to improve, for example, your relationships and especially your intimate relationships. Today you're going to get a chance to try a mindfulness exercise and get some advice from an expert about how you can use these mindfulness skills to help you to relate better to those that are close to you. In acceptance and commitment therapy, mindfulness is a core component in helping people become aware of the difference between what is actually going on in the moment in contrast to what your thoughts say is going on. Our guest today is Dr. Jonathan Kaplan. He is a clinical psychologist practicing in New York City. He also teaches at the New School for Public Engagement. Jonathan is the author of a book called Urban Mindfulness, Cultivating Peace, Presence, and Purpose in the Middle of It All. That's an interesting title. Uh, you can find this book on Amazon.com. And you can also learn more about Jonathan and the book by visiting his website and you can click on Jonathan's name on the on today's program and you will get his uh, website and the link to this book so welcome Jonathan thanks Joanne thanks so much for having me Jonathan you're a person I know in 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 act that has a long experience of using just mindfulness practice in therapy and so I, I'm curious about how you got interested in this yeah yeah um, let's see my, my first experience of uh, using mindfulness actually came by way of meditation and around 13 years ago I was doing a uh, psychotherapy group at a hospital in South Central Los Angeles and I was working with people who had been diagnosed with severe and chronic mental illnesses. And they had essentially been considered to be hopeless causes by society, many of whom uh, had been in and out of the hospital repeatedly. They were receiving psychiatric disability. Um, they were in a very sort of impoverished community. And the pain and suffering of their conditions was really evident in sort of how they would carried themselves. You could almost sort of see the way in which the pain sort of weighed them down. That I know that that's a very, very difficult group to work with, Jonathan. So that, that was a pretty radical step to, to try a meditation practice with these people. 
It was, it was. Uh, many of the folks, um, in fact, sort of were prone to psychosis or hallucinations. And um, there was some consideration initially that doing meditation uh, would actually sort of invite more of these kind of psychotic experiences. In fact, what we found in sort of running the group is that they didn't do that more, but actually it allowed people to relate to these experiences in a very different kind of way. Would that, would that be what in act we call acceptance? Would that be an, a way of acceptance to actually go into the experience of, say, a hallucination rather than using medication to try to take it away? Yeah, yeah. Uh, the acceptance piece was really evident um, in the attitude that accompanied the meditation practices. So, so the people, for example, did meditations where they would repeat a particular word or phrase over and over and over again. And you know, relative to anything that came up, they were just instructed to sort of note it, let it drop, and sort of return back to repeating whatever sort of word or phrase they were using to anchor their, their meditation. And, and as I understand it, Jonathan, meditation is a, a way of learning a sort of a non-reactivity. So learning to uh, be calm with your experiences rather than to react impulsively with fear or avoidance. So you were very early uh, in this tradition. I mean, that, that was a very, um, you were ahead of your time there. <laughs> I, I don't know about that, but it, it, um, it, it certainly was uh, so heartening and heartwarming to see how, how people responded uh, and used this practice. Mm. Um, you know, for, for example, many of the people in the group came from an evangelical or Baptist background. And so in, in picking objects of meditation, they would use either a prayer or a bit of scripture or something to, to sort of come back to over and over and over again in their minds during the meditation. Mm -hmm. so, so I dare say, like for many of them, they considered it actually to be a form of prayer. Mm -hmm. So they actually used it to um, deepen their own, their own religious traditions rather than competing with them. Yes, yes, yes. And it flowed from that in terms of their actual actions outside a session. And they got more involved in the, the churches and community, which was really sort of precious to see. I, I think it's, that's really nice for us to hear because sometimes I, I can hear that people uh, who are you know, in a Christian tradition or maybe a little suspicious towards meditation because it stems from Buddhism and might be a little skeptical. So that sounds good to know that it, whatever your tradition is, that meditation can be helpful. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I, I think quite simply of meditation as mental training. Mm -hmm. uh, just like we sort of work out and exercise to train our physical bodies, we can use meditation as a way to train our minds and hearts. Jonathan, I'm going to ask you in a minute to define mindfulness for us. But I wondered first, did have you has mindfulness or meditation been useful to you personally? Yes, yes, very much so. Uh, initially, when I started running this group, I was doing uh, the meditations as well, and I found them to be very calming, very 
uh, stress relieving for me at a time when I was struggling with a lot of sort of stress academically, a lot of pressures of sort of being in, in a relationship as well. Um, over time, uh, I, I sort of learned as well about mindfulness practices. And uh, these helped me even further, sort of beyond the meditations that I've been doing, um, and allowed me actually to deal with um, the pain, the suffering that I had, as well as sort of the burden of trying to be different, mm -hmm. of trying to change. Mm -hmm. the, the wonderful uh, aspect of, of mindfulness is that um, it promises relief without mm -hmm. having to do anything extra. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and how does that work, actually? <laughs> <laughs> well, the way it works is, is by paying very exquisite attention mm -hmm. to what's happening right now. Mm -hmm. We pay attention sort of in the present moment with attitudes of openness, curiosity, and acceptance. Okay, so uh, is this how you would define mindfulness, or how would you define it? Um, it is, it is. Mindfulness is, is a very special kind of attention and awareness, um, and it's really sort of contrast to how we normally operate in the world. And we're sort of on automatic pilot, we're kind of not paying attention to what we're doing, or we might be multitasking in a way, we're just sort of trying to do many different things simultaneously, or we're just stuck and ruminating, we're sort of trapped within our own minds, thinking about one thing over and over again, right? Maybe sort of worrying about something that's going to happen in the future, or mired regret, uh, mired in regret over something that happened in the past. So the mindfulness really allows us then to sort of bring our attention to what's happening right here, right here in this present moment. And it's only from this place that change is really possible. Yeah, that's right. And so I know that you work with couples, Jonathan, and I think this is a, an interesting application because when, when we're in a relationship, uh, I know that... Um, Sometimes I think about it that we tend to stereotype ourselves. You know, I'm like this, and we tend to stereotype the partner. He's like this. Right. And, and sometimes we get into these pictures of who I think I am or who I think the other person is. And we get from, from the very beginning when you're in love, you're very aware and very mindful. But then something happens, and we become less and less so. Would you say that that's a a basic problem of being not being here and now in a relationship. Yes, yes, very much so, Joanne. Like um, in relationships, we often sort of, as you're pointing out, relate to the other person based on sort of an image of who they are and sort of our assumptions of what might be going on with them. And a lot of that really sort of tells more about sort of what's happening within us internally, mm -hmm. right? So for example, we might feel hurt by something that our partner does and get really angry over the fact that you know, we're telling ourselves that our partner just doesn't care about us. Mm -hmm. and, and all of that is sort of based on a fabrication of the mind, right? Mm -hmm. It's sort of stuff that we're, we're thinking about, right? May or may not be true, right? We don't really know it just yet, but at that moment, we're telling ourselves it's true. 
and it manifests as an emotional reality, and we act from that place in ways that can be really damaging. So you mean, for example, if I was saying, uh, if you loved me, you would do this or this or this. Mm-hmm. And since you're not doing that, it means you don't love me. And I, and I, I think this type of this is a, a creation of our minds that uh, I have expectations or I have some kind of an agenda, and rather than being present to what actually the person is doing. Right, right. I mean, even if like there are things that the, our partner uh, uh, are doing that we don't like, mm-hmm. like that's fine. Right. You know, we, we might want to give some voice to that, obviously. And the attitude behind that is very, very important. Right. If we lead from an assumption that they don't care. Right. Then we're going to be talking what? with a lot of blame, a lot of criticism. And that for relationships can lead to disaster. Yeah. You know, Jonathan, sometimes I think about what happens sexually with people. Uh, uh, we're actually writing a book right now about intimate relationships and acts and and you know when you talk to people often when they're in love and they're lovers they're very it's their sexual interaction is very precious and they're very mindful but at some point it seems to lose passion and i wonder sometimes if, if that hasn't to do with the same thing is uh, you start getting routines and expectations and you lose the quality of actually being present because actually every time you meet your partner, no matter how many years you've had, had sexual relationship with them, it's actually a new person. It, because you are, because since we are always changing and our cells are changing, you, you actually, every meeting could be new. Absolutely, absolutely. Like there's this opportunity then for constant discovery of our partners, right? Like, you know, you said this earlier, I think we develop these sort of images or assumptions about about who our, our partner is, and then we just sort of hold on to that, and we sort of repeatedly relate to that. During that whole process, though, what that means is we're disconnecting mm-hmm. from really sort of who that person is, not, not just generally speaking, but even just kind of moment to moment. Mm-hmm. Is that do we do that because we want to feel comfortable that we uh, it's it's comfortable to feel that, you know, maybe think, you know, who this person is and you, you have an expectation about uh, you think about, you know, what's going to happen, for example, uh, because you know them and it, it maybe gives you a sort of a, a sense of security. Um. I don't know if it's so comfortable per se, because often like some of the assumptions we have, we really don't like it. <laughs> you might sort of make an assumption about our partner that, you know, they are this way and we don't like that. Um, but I see it more like this is really a quality of how our minds work and that we develop these kinds of um, shorthand ways of processing the world that allow us to sort of navigate things more smoothly, mm-hmm. which is wonderful if we can apply that in a way that's sort of wise and flexible. Mm-hmm. But when it becomes kind of an automatic way of experiencing the world, then we have some problems. Would you say that mindfulness is a way to, to train our minds to, um, how would you, how Absolutely. does, how does that work? Well, it, it works by, at first, uh, allowing us to see how our minds operate, 
right? We start seeing like when these assumptions come to mind about our partner. We start seeing the arising feelings that we have, whether they might be anger or sadness or hurt or fear or shame. And that process of observation starts us in a, in a way of relating to them differently. So it interrupts our usual patterns of sort of reactivity, our usual sort of habits of doing this or doing that, just by observing them. It's a different way of sort of processing them. Mm-hmm. That, that really sounds like something we all need to do. Jonathan, would it be possible for you to give us a mindfulness exercise right here? Sure, sure. I'd be happy to. Um, how much time? Uh, three, four minutes. Three, four minutes. Okay, okay. So, let's see. I'm not sure uh, what your listeners are doing right now, uh, but I would ask if they're able to maybe to pause uh, for a moment in what they're doing to attend to the exercise. Like if they're driving or something, you know, <laughs> this might not be the best time to practice. Uh, and instead, you could sort of listen along and sort of dip into the practice periodically. I certainly am not advising your listeners to take their eyes off the road or close their eyes or anything like that. <laughs> so uh, we can begin by taking a few deep breaths. Inhaling deeply and fully. Feeling the way that your body responds to your breathing. You might notice, for example, the rise of your chest and abdomen each time you breathe in. And then the fall each time you breathe out. You might also notice the cool air. It enters your nostrils as you breathe in and the warmer air as you breathe out. Very gently, I'd like for you to direct your attention to sound. Taking notice of whatever it is that you can hear right now. It might be the sound of my voice. You might be noticing other sounds from around you as well. Allow your attention to rest on whatever it is you can detect, whatever it is that you hear, 
wonderful aspect of listening to sound is that it really underscores our receptivity. There's nothing that we need to do to the sounds. Simply hear them, simply perceive them. In doing so, you might notice as well how your mind responds. Perhaps you label the sound is coming from a particular source. You might also find yourself responding to the sound with a particular feeling. You might like it or dislike it or feel neutral about it. Whatever arises, simply take note of it. Whether you're hearing these sounds or observing the way that your mind responds to them. Now, very gently, you can release this focus on listening, start expanding your awareness. Noticing physical feelings in your body. Noticing what you see. And returning to the room or wherever you might be with full presence and awareness. Thank you, Jonathan. I, You're welcome. I think that that was a very good introduction to what mindfulness, how it can be used. Jonathan, we're coming to the end of our program. I'm sure there's many listeners who are experiencing problems like lack of intimacy in their relationship. How might them? How might they help themselves? Um, if you were to could give some advice about how we could move from hurt, the hurt felt in a relationship to hope, could you give us some general advice? Sure, sure, I'd be happy to. Um, well, one of the things that I think is is really fundamental um, about mindfulness practices, in a way that helps us in relationships, is to to really start paying attention to the kind of hurt that we're experiencing in our relationships. You know, there's a tendency essentially to blame and criticize the other person. And ultimately, that, that doesn't lead to substantive changes that help us feel better in our relationships. So what we need to do uh, is get inquisitive about these kinds of feelings. And for many of us, for example, underneath anger that we can experience when we're having problems, there are softer feelings, feelings of sadness, fear, shame, regret. And as we sort of observe them, 
we might also find that there's, there's a narrative there, there's a story. Your mind, for example, might be telling us that we're feeling unworthy in some way, or unloved, or even unlovable. So what's necessary for us initially is really to open up to these kinds of feelings that we have within ourselves. We need to feel them. We need to sort of see how they operate, sort of not only sort of personally, but also see what happens when we act from these, these places. And ultimately, as we gain more familiarity with some of these softer feelings that, that belie the difficulties that we're having in relationships, we're in a better position than to communicate in ways uh, that are less blaming, more gentle, and more likely to be heard by our partners. And this is really key uh, for us to be in relationships better. Thank you, Jonathan, for that advice. I, I, I personally think that's a, a really good place to start to improve relationships. So thank you, Jonathan, for being with us today. Oh, Joanne, thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. It's been a, a real privilege to share this time with you. You've been listening to Jonathan Kaplan, who's a clinical psychologist working in New York City. He specializes in integrating mindfulness in therapy. You can read more about Jonathan by clicking on his name on today's program on webtalkradio.net. Today's program, Act Taking Hurt to Hope, has focused around how, how mindfulness can be used to bring us back to the here and now so that we can pay attention to what actually is happening rather than what our minds is telling us is happening. And by doing this, you can create a compassionate space for yourself that can help you get back on the track of a vital life. So thank you for joining us today. Thank you for joining us today. For more information about Joanne, please see her website at joannedahl.com or click on the host website button in front of you on the webtalkradio.net page. You may also see her books, The Art of Science of Valuing in Psychotherapy, Living Beyond Pain, Using Acceptance and Commitment Therapy to Ease Chronic Pain, Acceptance and Commitment Therapy for Chronic Pain, Values in Action, and Epilepsy, a Behavior Medicine Approach to Assessment and Treatment in Children. All of these are found easily by clicking the cover or going to Amazon.com. We hope you'll join us again soon for another episode of ACT, Taking Hurt to Hope.